0: We've been in a series through the book of Acts, and I'm going to take a little break from that uh, through the Christmas season and do a little something different and talking about the gifts of Christmas. Uh, And to do this, I'm, I'm going to set it up this morning. And the idea behind this series is that God has been trying from day one to get our attention. What I know is what you know that if you're not looking for something, you'll likely miss something. We'll see what it is we're looking for. And if we're not mindful to look for the right things, we won't see the right things. Um, and especially around Christmas time, things can get so busy uh, and so chaotic. Uh, we can feel so pressured with must-dos around this season um, that we miss because we stop looking for them. The point of it all. We can get so wrapped up in what has to get done, what has to be accomplished, or maybe who's going to come visit this year again that we miss the joy of the season, the point of the season, and the person of the season. And so I'm going to try something with you this morning that I did with the high school group Wednesday night. Uh, And so you're going to get a high school lesson. This is what I taught the high schoolers on Wednesday and thought I think this will translate. Uh, and, and, and what I want to do, I'm going to take a, a roundabout route to get there, uh, but I want to draw our attention to Jesus um, and make the point that if we're not looking for him, we're going to miss him. And I don't want you to miss him. If you go, if, if you look at, at the Bible, everything in this book, is about Jesus. Everything. From Genesis all the way through the maps is all about Jesus. And it's interesting when you look in the New Testament, now the difference of, between the Old Testament and the New Testament is what? Jesus. Well, it's all about Jesus. But what I understand you're saying is the life of Jesus on, on earth. Like that's the delineation. Like Genesis... from the the very beginning of of creation all the way up until 400 years before the advent of Jesus. There were 400 years where it seems like God was just silent and didn't talk to anybody on earth. And so there's this 400-year silent period. That's all the Old Testament. And then with Jesus starts in Matthew. But it's interesting, when you look in the New Testament and the New Testament talks about the scriptures, the scriptures the New Testament talks about is referring to the Old Testament, because the New Testament had been written. And so if you just look at what's said, this is Jesus in Luke 24, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus explained to them what was said in all the what? Scriptures concerning whom? So Jesus starts with Moses and all the prophets, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, all those guys and explains to the people what all of them said about him. It's all about him, and he's in all of it. No, no, watch. Later in that same chapter, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about whom? Me, in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. It's all about me. And you've missed me because you weren't looking for me. You understand? It's very easy for us to read all this Old Testament stuff and miss Jesus. Because not looking for him there. It's very easy for us to navigate through the Christmas season and miss Jesus. We just want to draw our attention on what? Look at what is it. watch this in John 5. He says, You study the scriptures, what scriptures? the Old Testament stuff, all these these books. Diligent because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very scriptures that testify about me. If you believe Moses, you would believe me because Moses wrote about me. All through the Old Testament. It would be interesting if we just took a moment right now and had everybody who has, uh, you know, been a Christian for a while and had a Bible for a while, uh, delineate for us where they see Jesus in the Book of Lamentations, in the Book of Proverbs, and Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That'd be a fun exercise, huh? Notice what the Apostle Paul says. This is what Paul said: For I declared to you first of all. That which I received. And and this is it. That Christ died for our sins according to the what? The Old Testament. And according to that same Old Testament, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day, according to the what? Scriptures. Like Paul says, according to what we have in the scriptures, this all the Old Testament stuff, what we would call the Old Testament. It tells us that Jesus lived, he died, he was buried, and he rose on the third day. It's interesting to me, as Paul says, I declare to you, first of all, what I received. Now, we know, because we've been studying the book of Acts, we've been here with us for any length of time, that when Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus, immediately he went out to the desert and spent years by himself. And he says, I didn't learn from any of the apostles. Who did Paul learn the Bible from? The Holy Spirit. He didn't learn from any of the apostles. He learned it from the Holy Spirit. He understood Jesus by the Holy Spirit. And so apparently the Holy Spirit imparted to Paul the truth that was in all these Old Testament scriptures about Christ. So this comes directly from God, about his son. The point of all this is, 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 is this that God has always been working to get our attention. Always. And he's doing it right now too. You paying attention? He has always been about the work of drawing people's attention to himself. And everything that he has orchestrated or allowed in our lives, about our lives, has been for the purpose of drawing our attention to him. So here's what I know. If you don't give your attention to God, you will give your attention to someone or something. And if it's other than God, at some point, it's gonna lead you astray. We will give our attention to someone or something. And if it's anything other than God, at some point, that thing or that one will lead us astray. And so God has been working from day one to draw our attention to him because everything else in this world will draw our attention away from him. And so he says, I want you to pay attention to me. I am always working to draw your attention. not the leaf to, of which through his word. Now, I want to share something with you that it, you can believe it or not. It doesn't matter to me one bit if you believe it or not. You're going to go to heaven either way. It doesn't matter what you believe about this one thing I'm going to tell you. If you got a relationship with Jesus, you're going to heaven, whether you think I'm all full of you know, marbles or not. But it's fun to think through, so I'm going to give it to you. There are two words that you have to know okay, to understand this. One is the word Torah, the Old Testament law, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the, the law, Torah. We would, we would translate that from the Hebrew as T-O-R-H, okay? The other thing is God's personal name. When Abraham, or sorry, when Moses stood behind, before the burning bush and, and, and encounters God, and he says, who do I say, tell Pharaoh Simi? He says, I am that I am. God was saying, I am who I am. My personal name is the I am. We would translate that with four consonants, Y-H-W-H, Yahweh. So those are two words that, that we need to know going into this. Torah, the law of God, and Yahweh, the personal name of God. That's how we would phonetically translate those into English from the Hebrew. You follow me? Okay, so the Pentateuch, that means the five books of the law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Okay, that's the Pentateuch that contained the Torah. You got it so far? You're gonna sound like Hebrew experts to your friends who don't know any of this stuff. Okay, so, so, so watch this. this. This is what I want you to get. If you start in Genesis... And you go through Genesis to Nexus. Now, now in Hebrew, you read it right to left. And if you start in Genesis and count 49 letters, because 49 is seven times seven. Seven, numerically in the Bible, is the letter of completion. So seven times seven is complete completion. You follow that? So you go 49 letters, complete completion. You come to the first letter in Hebrew of what we would translate as Torah. You count 49 more, complete completion. You come to the second letter that we would translate the Hebrew into Torah. You count 49 more, complete completion. You come to the third letter, count 49 more, complete completion. You come to the fourth letter. This is the pattern, excuse me, the pattern all through Genesis, all through Exodus. 49, the first letter, 49. The second letter, 49. The third letter, 49. The fourth letter, Torah, 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 Torah. Torah. The law of God, the law of God, the law of God, the law of God. You understand that? When I look at this stuff, I think, I don't know how much proof I need to believe that this was, this was put together by someone outside the space-time continuum. There's incredible order to it. But, but, but hang with me now. So it appears as though the law, Torah, in Genesis is pointing towards something. The third book of the law is what? Leviticus. So let's skip that one, and let's go to the fourth and fifth one. Numbers and Deuteronomy. Same pattern. You go the first 49 letters, complete completion. You come to the last letter of how we would translate Torah. The next 49, complete completion, come to the third letter. The next letter, complete completion, you come to the second letter. The next letter, complete completion, after 49, you come to the first letter. It's Torah backwards all through Numbers and all through Deuteronomy. So what it appears in the, in the incredible intricacy of the completion of the first five books of the Bible is the first two, the law of God's looking towards something and the last two, the law of God's looking back to something. You follow? That's the way it appears and how it's been crafted. Genesis X was looking forward, the law's looking forward, the Numbers Deuteronomy, the law is looking backwards. What are they looking towards? They're looking towards Leviticus. Genesis, Exodus, looking forward. Numbers, Jeremiah looking backwards. Law of God, law of God, looking towards Leviticus. You, you follow me so far? So if you take this same pattern in the book of Leviticus and count 49, complete completion, you come to the first letter that we would translate Yahweh, the next 49, the second letter, the third 49, the third letter, the fourth 49, the fourth letter. So in the, in the orchestration of the very letters of the law of God, point forwards and backwards to the person of God. The ancient rabbis go so far to say this in looking forward to the Messiah. They will say when Messiah comes, Messiah will interpret not just every line, not every stanza, not every word, but the space between the letters to reveal him. That's how intricate this thing is made. It all draws our attention to the person of God revealed in Christ because the Bible says Jesus' name is Emmanuel, the I am with us. It all points to him. And that's why I think Jesus can say, you study this because you think in them what you have is life. What you have in this is me. These were very scriptures. They testify about me. If you believe these scriptures, you'd believe what what he said about me because it all points to me, Jesus says. But if we're not looking for him, we're going to miss him. Do you understand? Now, let me make this point. I need to be very clear about this. There's nothing hidden in the Bible that isn't clearly seen in the Bible. You don't need any special knowledge or teaching or training or any insight to know everything the Bible says. It's just to me, like at every level, as deep as you want to go, it's going to be Jesus, 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 Jesus. And it's so plain and simple that John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, that whoever believed in him should not perish and have everlasting life. It's pretty simple. It all points to Jesus. But as deep as you want to go, guess what? It all points to Jesus. You follow me? Because God has been trying from day one to get our attention. From day one. And he's trying to get your attention right now. See, we get this so backwards sometimes. Because we try to get God to give us his attention, don't we? God, notice me. God, see me. God, r- realize what I'm going through. Give me a, your attention, God. And God says, hold on a minute. This is about me. It isn't about you. I see you. I know you. I love you. But you need to give me your attention. I'm the one, God says, who's worthy of worship and acknowledgement, not you. And so when things go on in our lives, especially when the tough stuff and the bad stuff goes on in our lives, God, notice me. God, notice my child. I get it. And God says, I do. I don't sleep nor slumber. You need to pay attention to me now. Let me ask you parents this. What's the, what's the primary responsibility of a parent? Why does it get so quiet in here? <laughs> what? Let me let me let me ask this because it'll be easier for you is it the primary responsibility of a parent to make sure their child is happy and successful? Then why do we parent and act like it is? And if that's not the primary responsibility of the parent, why do we act like that's God's primary responsibility to us? We we, So often we act like it's God's responsibility and priority to make me happy and make me successful. That's why so many of us want to add Jesus to our marriage and add Jesus to our business and add Jesus to our finances and add Jesus to our endeavors, hoping that he'll make them better and successful, right? If that's not the primary responsibility of the parent, which it is not, nor is it the responsibility of God to do that for us. Why? Because it's his story, not ours. And God has been trying from day one to get our attention rather than beg for his. All the way through the construction of this book, he says, notice me, notice me, notice me. As simple or as deep as you want to look, it's me, it's Jesus, it's me, it's Jesus. And so I want to show you a place in the Old Testament, the Scriptures. That's all about Jesus that you may have missed. You want to see it? Go to Genesis 22. If you have a Bible and brought one with you, turn there. You've got to smart your advice, turn there. You can also download our app. All the Scriptures on our app. If you click a link, it will take you in a Bible app directly to the Scriptures we're going through. Genesis 22, for you Bible students, Genesis 22 is the Scripture about what? Anybody know? Abraham and Isaac. About when God comes to Abraham, says, Abraham, take your son whom you love, sacrifice him on Mount Moriah. That is a tough assignment. I'm going to tell you right now. Now, you might feel like that as a parent of a junior higher at times where you might be willing to make that transaction. uh, But at the end of the day, nobody's willing to do that. This is a tough assignment. And I suggest to you that this is not the story of Abraham and Isaac. This is a story about our heavenly father and his son, Jesus. Let's just look at what this says. Genesis 22, verse 1. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him. there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. When God told Abraham, take your son, how old was Isaac his son? We don't know how old he was, but our best guess is somewhere late 20s, early 30s. There's one commentator that goes so far to say he is exactly 33 years old. What other son was sacrificed at 33 years old? This this story is not about Abraham and Isaac. This story is about Jesus. Cuz God's trying to get our attention. When it says take your son your only son whom Isaac whom you love. How many sons did Abraham have? He had two. Ishmael was born 14 years before Isaac. God told Abraham and Sarah, you will have a baby when Abraham was 85 years old. You're going to have you're going to be a father of a nation. They wait fourteen years, nothing happens. He's eighty-five. That blue pill ain't going to help him at all. He's thinking, "This, oh, you I know, got to do something about this." And so Sarah says, according to their custom, "Take my handmaiden Hagar and have a baby through her." And Abraham says, "Okie dokie." And so they they rush this process, and they step outside of God's will. And it was a mistake, though it was the custom of the day. Hear me on this. The custom of the day is rarely God's initiative. And so he goes outside of God's will, has this baby named Ishmael, and he loves Ishmael because it is his son. And I don't care what your family dynamics are or have become, your kids are your kids, right? And you love them. And he loved Ishmael. And yet God says here, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Why would he leave Ishmael out? Let me tell you why. Because he is a gracious and loving God and he does not hold our Ishmael decisions against us. God loved Ishmael too and God would take care of Ishmael. He would become a great nation as well. But it was a mistake. And I love the fact that God isn't the one who says, you, Carl, you you got some Ishmaels in your past, boy. Don't you forget who you are. God doesn't do that. And I love that about my God. Don't you? We all have some Ishmaels in our past. Stupid decisions, wrong decisions. Decisions of consequence. And God says, I'm not going to hold those against you. I'm not going to keep bringing those up. I'm going to throw those in the deepest sea and put up a no fishing sign so you can't get them back. Take your son, your only son, whom you love. Go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him them as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. That's verse 2. That Mount Moriah, it's not a single mountain. It's a mountain range. And it only rises a couple hundred feet in elevation. It's not some huge, big mountain. And it is this Mount Moriah, this little range that runs outside the city of Jerusalem, through Jerusalem, through the place that is called Golgotha, the place of the skull where Jesus was crucified. This event takes place on the very place where Christ himself was crucified. Why? Because God's trying to get our attention from day one and say, Notice my son. The story of Christ is all around us if we'll just pay attention. Verse 3, early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and set off. The day Abraham considered his son Isaac dead is the day he got the command of God. And if you know this story, you will realize that it was on the third day that he got his son back. This story is not about Isaac and Abraham. This story is about Jesus because God's trying to get your attention. Abraham got upset on his noggy. He took with him two of his servants. The father, the son, and two others go to the place of execution. Who was with Jesus and the father at the place of execution? Two thieves. This story is about Christ. When he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him to go. On the third day, this is the day when this whole thing takes place. The third day. He considered his son dead the first day he got the command. On the third day, this all takes place, three days. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servant, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. We will worship and we will come back. He saw prophetically through eyes of faith, the resurrection. Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance, not just the mountain where this event would take place with his son, but he saw the mountain of the resurrection that would happen. We will come back. This is not just the story of Abraham and Isaac. This is the story of Jesus. And his father, who loves us so much, he would sacrifice his son. Verse 6 Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac, and he himself carried the fire and the knife. The father takes the wood and places it on his son, and the son carries the wood to the place of sacrifice. Who else carried the wood? to the sacrifice. This story is not about Abraham and Isaac. This story is about Jesus and the father that loves you so much he wants your attention. And he's been crying out from day one, notice me, notice my son. Everything that's happening in Abraham and Isaac's life is to point towards Christ. The father, he himself carried the knife the fire and the knife. The father carries the fire, the father carries the knife. Biblically, fire is the expression of judgment and the knife is the instrument through which it is wielded. And the judgment of the father is to be poured out on the son. The wood of the sacrifice will absorb the fire in essence. The wood of the sacrifice absorbs the judgment of God, which is exactly what happened when Jesus was on the cross. The cross absorbs the judgment of God that you and I deserve. This story is not about Abraham and Isaac alone. This story is about Jesus and the Father that loves you so much. So he says, everything I've done is to draw your attention to me. Give me your attention. Isaac spoke up and said to his father, he said, Abraham, father, yes, my son. Abraham replied, the fire and the wood are here. Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? Good question. Abraham, verse eight, answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Abraham said, God will provide the lamb. He's speaking prophetically. We'll learn later that God didn't provide a lamb here in this story. He provided something different. Why? Because Abraham was speaking prophetically. In John 1, we read, As Jesus was approaching John the Baptist, John the Baptist would say these words, Behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This story is not about Abraham and Isaac. This story is about Jesus, the Lamb of God, that God will provide to take away the sin of the world. He's trying to get our attention from day one. And we get so absorbed and so sidetracked by all these other things. And when we don't give our attention to God, we will give it to other people and other things. And every one of those will lead us astray at some point. God says, give me your attention. Everything in here is about me. Everything in your life is about me. Pay attention. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham's well over 100 years old. Isaac's probably in his 30s. How is an old ancient centurion going to bind up a young 30-year-old man that doesn't want to be bound? He's not. The only way the father could bind the son if the son submitted to the will of the father. There was another son that submitted to the will of the father in the garden. And he said, Father, if there's any other way this cup can pass from me, let it be so, but not my will, yours be done. This son willingly allowed himself to be bound up by the father to absorb the fire of judgment when he didn't have to. Why? Because this story is not a story about Abraham and Isaac alone. This story is about Jesus. And God's saying, pay attention to what I'm doing around you. Then he reached out his hand. Abraham did and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from, uh, from me your own son, your only son. Romans 8, 32, God will not spare even his own son for us. Just like the father did here. Pay attention. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and there in the thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns. He had just prophesied that God himself will prepare a lamb. But then in this moment, it says God prepared a what? A ram. Where's the lamb? The lamb was prophetic, it is to come. Like I said, when John the Baptist will say, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, this was a ram. He was speaking prophetically. Why? Because this story is not just about Abraham and Isaac. This story is about Jesus. And the thing I love about this ram, if you understand the Hebrew text, it says this ram, was. he, he came up behind Abraham, which means as Abraham and Isaac are climbing up the mountain this way, the ram's climbing up this way. God is preparing a ram in the presence of his son's sacrifice. What you see happening, God is preparing something different on the backside. You don't even know what God's, but God's prepared. You can't see what God's, but God's preparing it on the backside. He went over and took the, Ram and sacrifices a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, verse 14, the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. When Abraham names that place the Lord will provide, that's God's personal name of Jehovah-Jireh, our provider. And Abraham says he will provide it on the mountain of the Lord. That's Golgotha, where God provided everything we need. For forgiveness of sin and a right relationship with Him. Now I, I realize what time it is. I want to show you one more thing, can I? Before I do, I want you to understand this. That everything God does and allows and sets up in our lives is to draw our attention to Him. And until we but on lenses that choose to see Christ in the events and circumstances of our lives, we will miss him. Because we're not looking for him. I don't want you to miss him. The angel Lord called to Abraham, verse 15. A second time, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the, the stars of the sky and the sand and the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of cities, of their enemies, and through your offering all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. And then look at verse 19. Then Abraham returned to his servants, and they set off together for Beersheba, and Abraham stayed in Beersheba. Who's not listed there? Abraham and Isaac go up to the mountain. It says, Abraham comes down and meets with the two servants. And Abraham leaves. Where's Isaac? Don't miss Jesus. The Holy Spirit intervenes to remove the son from the story at this point. And the son doesn't come back until Genesis 24, Verse 46, you will not read any Isaac's name in Scripture from verse 19 all the way through 23, all the way through 24 until verse 46. Why? What's Genesis 24 about? The father sends the servant on a mission to prepare the bride for his son. Genesis 24 is the story of Isaac and Rebekah and how the son and bride come together. Biblically, the father is a picture of God the father. The son is a picture of Jesus, the son. The bride is a picture of the church. If you read Genesis 24, what you'll see is that the Father sends the unnamed servant on a mission to testify about the Son. We know from the New Testament that we're told that the Holy Spirit's job is one thing alone. To not draw attention to himself, that's why this servant in 24 is unnamed. To solely give testimony about the Son. To prepare the bride to be united with the Son. It's Genesis 24. And that's why the Holy Spirit removes the name of Isaac from the pages of Scripture until the Son is reunited with his bride. Because all of this is about Christ, him crucified, resurrected, and our right relationship with him. Don't miss him. Do you understand? All about him. And that's why Paul can testify. All these scriptures testify about Jesus' life, death, resurrection, three days later. God has been trying to get our attention from day one. Everything that's going on in your life is so that God will draw your attention to him. And all of this culminated on Christmas when God broke into the world and got everyone's attention. And he said, I've put it here in so many different ways. I have all these lives orchestrated to to bring people to me and my son. It's all about me, and you all have missed it over and over and over, and I'm tired of you missing it, so I'm going to go down there and take care of it myself. And Jesus is the complete fullness, complete completeness of the revelation of God in this world. And he says, pay attention now. And so I've got to ask you, how is God trying to get your attention right now? All this stuff in your life is about drawing your attention to him. And let me peel back the curtain on my life for you just a moment. Been a pastor a long time. And in my role, we get to walk with people through triumphs, and tragedy through high points and low points, celebrations and mourning. And that's what I get to do year after year after year with family after family, and some families for years and years and years, the same families, and it's beautiful and it's wonderful. But in every church I've been a part of, There are people with whom I celebrate with and weep with and work with and love and love me who for one reason or another just walk away. And if you've ever had someone in your life that you, that You thought it was a ride or die, you know what I'm saying? And then they just walk out. If you've ever had that, you know how much that hurts, right? And there have been those times in every church I've served, and and in this church as well, that we sit back and just. Recently, I was thinking, Lord, I'm tired of this. I'm tired. I'm tired of pouring out my life for I'm tired of it and then they just leave and If you've ever felt completely dismissed and 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 neglected and rejected, you know. I... And and I was just in that moment like I'm it's it's happening again and I'm just tired of it and I thought if they can leave so can I. If they can walk out, I can walk out too. Maybe it's time for me to walk out. And it was a low point. And I'm so thankful because the Holy Spirit told me He said, Carl, listen, I'm blessing you with the opportunity to feel as though people are rejecting you. Because now you're getting to feel what I feel. Give me your attention. The well, Holy Spirit told me, said, Carl, you, you don't have an inkling how to the degree to which I, you have a little tiny, but at least you have an idea. And so I thought, I'll put my glasses back on, and I started praying. I said, Father, thank you so much for the opportunity you've given me to feel as though. I'm being rejected, to feel as though people are walking out on me, to feel as though people who are friends are not. I thank you because you're drawing my attention to you. I can't imagine how this is for you when I walk out on you. It's a beautiful moment. And I realize that even those tough things, God is orchestrating them and using them to draw my attention to him. And when my focus is on him, my perspective's right. My feelings are full of mercy and grace and hope and joy. I mean, if Jesus for the joy set before him can endure the cross. See, when God has my attention, Bitterness cannot hold me. When God has my attention, fear doesn't exist. When God has my attention, these things that I cry out, God, pay attention to me, all start to say, no, no. no. I'll pay attention to you. Guys, this is the point of Christmas. And so I've got to ask you, how is God trying to get your attention right now? readjust your focus, reprioritize, pay attention to him. You Understand? This is Christmas. I want you pray with me. Father, thank you. Thank you that from day one you have been seeking to get our attention. I pray that we would pay attention to you. There's all kinds of stuff in this world that fight for our attention, that that pull our attention away from you. I pray that we would neglect those things and in this moment, draw our attention to you. You're a good God. Thank you for all that you've gone through so we could have a relationship with you. I would challenge you in this moment, just a real simple prayer. God, what is it that's going on in my life that you desire to use to draw my attention to you. Help me pay attention. Tell him, say, use whatever you need to in my life to draw my attention to you and give me lenses through which to view life as your hand at work to draw my attention to you. Father, I ask that as we do that, as we draw our attention to you in the midst of everything going on, that you would reveal yourself and your work in our lives, that you would reveal who you are. And as you reveal who you are, give us a faith and a confidence that you are working all things together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose because it's your story. And you're a good God. Forgive us for how we have allowed our attention to be sucked away and dragged away into the other things and other people and and situations that we don't understand. We don't have to understand, Father. We just choose to draw our attention to you. I pray that in this season, we would be people who are single-minded in our attention and that it would be yours. In your name I pray, amen. The next few weeks, I'm going to take some time and go through some of these Old Testament stories, other ones that are very unfamiliar for you, to show you where Jesus is, okay? Move that for the next few weeks. So here's what I want you to do. I encourage you, today start Matthew 1, read a chapter a day through the end of the month, stopping on Christmas Day for Luke 2. And then if you know people who don't have a church home, I want you to invite them here because they will see where Jesus is and God's trying to get their attention. And guess who he is orchestrating in their lives to get their attention? You. So invite them. You understand? This thing.